0: I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. Hey guys, just before we get going with the show, in today's show, we focus on a single word, performance. Performance. Brad Storberg and I dig in, and we have a really inspiring coaches conversation that's packed with education, inspiration, and I might even say quite a few surprises. And I know that you're going to listen, because you care about performance. And I also assume you care about longevity of performance, doing what you love and thriving for the long haul. Well, while I have your ear, this is central to why we are partnered with Inside Tracker. Because we want you to be able to do the things that you love and thrive doing it over the long haul. We don't really like crash and burn. And a great supplement to your hard work and engagement is getting really specific and focused on the things that are really going to help. That's why Purple Patch Athletes utilize Tracker. They do a deep dive into your biometrics so that you can gain scientifically valid advice and recommendations on where you should place your focus. And of course, then you can get a place for trackable gains. I think it's really high value and it removes so much of the guesswork. And so if you wanna jump on board with us, all you have to do is head to insidetracker.com slash purple patch podcast. And as ever, 25% off everything at the store. The code, purplepatchpro25, purplepatchpro25. All right, now, this is a cracker. Part two of the Brad Stolberg interview. Enjoy the show. And folks, we return part two with Brad Stolberg. Did you catch that? Part two. What that means is that if you miss last week, that was part one, then you should pause right now and you should head back to last week's show. That's episode 205, 205, because it is unmissable and it lays the groundwork of everything that we discussed today in part two. Get it? Part one, part two. Good. This week we have more of the same. And I have to say, the second half of our conversation was as absolutely every part as good as the first part. We are digging into the broad topic of performance. And I promise today you're going to get a few surprises, as well, of course, as a healthy dose of inspiration and education. Now, following last week's episode, we got a lot of feedback from you guys and a common theme anchored around that the discussion that we had was really helpful for folks who don't actually identify as an athlete. Yes, that's it, an athlete. And that's absolutely the case. Look, the crucible of our performance discussion is the journey of an athlete. But bear in mind that the principles and lessons apply to anything that you care about excelling at. Is it work performance, leadership, life, health, whatever it is? And so that's why, yes, I think that last week and this week are absolutely essential listening for athletes, but equally for anyone who cares about developing control and being the very best version of themselves they can be. Now, both Brad and I are very lucky. We get to work with high-end athletes as well as leading CEOs and business leaders, of what is called folks that strive for personal performance. And so, whether it's parenting, leadership, or championships, today's episode is for you. Now, as we dance into the meat of today's show, perhaps this might be a nice time for me to ask you a favor, because I really believe that these two episodes, part one, part two, Brad Stolberg, we can label them essential listening. And so I'd be really appreciative if you could share these episodes with anyone, anyone that you think might find it interesting or useful. Even more, share far and wide on your social channels. Even Crosslink to Purple Patch if you would like. We'll give you lots of love if you do. It really helps folk find us and begin their learning. Okay, so I've got my seatbelt fastened. I'm very excited to share part two with you. But I know many of you guys have been really patient for the last couple of weeks, but before we get going, I do want to share just a couple of things for, with you. Let's do a quick squatty update. Yes, guys, it's the squatty update. And hey, as you listen today, perhaps you have questions from today's show, or maybe you've got broader questions about anything around performance, sport or anything for me and you're like oh i wish i could ask him a question a follow-up well guess what now you can all you need to do is head to purplepatchfitness.com and head to the podcast page naturally it's under the education tab and on that page there's a really nice little icon and all you have to do is add your first name and location and then record a really brief question around anything about performance, anything. What we will do on our part is collect your questions and the best ones will be played on this show. And I will do my very best to give you some really solid answers. It's all gonna be wrapped up into our Ask Me Anything show. So I ask you, Purple Patch community, let's get engaged. I would love to hear your questions, hear what you're thinking about. It doesn't have to pertain to today's show per se. It could be anything, you would like me to rap about. Also this week, athletes. The season is looming. Your training should have begun for sure, but it's really time to get cracking. And so just a quick reminder that we are indeed welcoming folks into the Purple Patch ecosystem and team. We ain't a family, we're a team. We want to help you achieve your goals without eroding your life performance. Our expertise integrating sport into life to amplify not just your sporting results, but also your health, your life and work performance. So triathletes, runners, bike performance folks, and even those that want to utilize our strength program, you have tons of options. Head to purplepatchfitness.com or of course, reach out to us, info at purplepatchfitness.com, and we'll have a little powwow to see what suits you. All right, finally, a little inspiration, Barry. Come on, come out of that sweat box. I have told you time and time again that a sweat box is not a wise way to try and drop weight. So get on your ukulele, get your big thumbs out, and let's hit a little word of the Week. We like the way he thinks, serious with the way. Let's open the book, it's time to take a peek. It's the Dixon Air. Yes, a word of the week this week. It's a quick one and fun one. The word of the week is iron mindset. Okay, I know it's two words, but stay with me. Look, it's a little teaser for an upcoming episode. And I thought I'd plug it into word of the week because it is really related to today's conversation as well. Over the last 15 years or so of coaching, we've managed to accumulate a pretty comprehensive set of results within Ironman and half Ironman distance racing. Our pro squad recorded more than 500 victories and podiums. We've helped more than 750 amateurs qualify for world championship events. Come on, is there any other coaching company that's done that? Hmm. We've had multiple world champions, and perhaps. More importantly than anything, at least for me, we've supported countless people through their Ironman journey and experience, enabling great satisfaction and success without eroding their performance in the other areas of life. And that delivers to me and the whole of the Purple Patch team a great amount of pride and satisfaction. It's a whole lot of journeys of success. But over these years of helping all of you and folks get through their Ironman journey, we've also learned a whole bunch about what it takes to navigate your journey to Ironman and execute on race day. And there are some really consistent common themes amongst the most successful athletes. And we label the themes and the traits and the characteristics of what it takes to be successful in Ironman as an iron mindset. Very cute, huh? Yeah. But the reason that we do this is that the strategies and traits that facilitate the gumption, the consistency of training, the pragmatism, and the armor against fragility amplifies the chance of success. And guess what? It turns out that this iron mindset isn't just useful for Ironman racing. It transfers across all aspects of performance that you care about. So whether you are invested in performance in life, work, sport, you will be really well served in adopting an iron mindset. And the good news, you don't need to be an iron man or even aspire to be an iron man. Frankly, you don't need to care about iron man to absolutely draw the lessons and apply them to your focal point of performance. You might want to be a great business leader. Perhaps you want to be a wonderful parent or you're ambitious in just being the best that you can be in your job. But the truth is, to be great in anything, you need to have a pathway to deliver something magical, sustainable performance. And so today, the word of the week, all this is, is me introducing the concept. But over the coming weeks, we're going to dig into this. We're going to really sink our teeth into it. And I would start this with a blog that we're putting on the Purple Patch website, purplepatchfitness.com, you'll know it. Head to the blog section and there is a nice blog under the education tab all around the iron mindset. And in a couple of weeks time, we're gonna dedicate a whole show to this concept because I think it's really valuable to amplify performance across all aspects of life, whether it's business, health, whatever it might be. But with that word of the week, iron mindset, Let's put it in the rearview mirror because you guys are desperate. I know. We are here. Guys, we have arrived. Let's do this. Part two, folks. I get to once again proudly introduce the author of Peak Performance, The Passion Paradox, and The Practice of Groundedness, Brad Stolberg. I hope you enjoy. All right, guys. Yes, we are back. It is the meat of potatoes and it is the continuation of the discussion. Okay, you guys are not fooled. Of course, it's the second half of the single discussion that I had with Brad, but we decided to break it into two sections. But I am this week as it is a week apart. I'm going to say welcome back, Brad.
1: Well it is great to be back with you and to be back with the listeners. I'm glad that you're uh, you're tagging along for our our circuitous discussion on on capital p. There you go.
0: So I think that the the sort of flag that I should put up first is if you haven't listened to last week's show pause right now go back incredibly insightful and interesting this is just a straight pickup. And so you really don't want to go forth with going back without going back and, uh, and listening to this show. So we finished off last time. We were really diving into patience, and that's where we're going to continue the discussion today. And there's a, another part of, uh, of, of your book that it was another title that resonated straight away, Meeting Yourself Where You're At as a as a coach this is one of sort of getting an athlete to buy into the concept of embracing the journey and patience rather than just training for an event that that's a big obstacle to get someone over another part of it is getting athletes to actually take action in the realistic place that they're at versus trying to pretend that they should be where they want to be in next number of times. So I guess it's a big part of, in many ways, my take of it, the capacity for someone to be patient is anchored around the ability to gain an appreciation of where they're currently at and building from there. So I guess my question is, how does one go about understanding or
1: defining this? So... The great humanistic philosopher, Carl Rogers, famously said that once I accept where I am, then I can change. And that quote to me captures the whole essence of this, that it is hard at times, particularly if you're not where you want to be or think you should be, or where others think you should be to accept where you're at. But if you don't, then you'll never grow because you'll be starting on a very fragile foundation that will break. And this is true, whether you're brand new at something, this is true. If you're coming back from an injury, this is true after a plateau that everybody has and everything that they do for a long period of time. And it requires the ability to take that infinite game mindset, as you said, it's a close cousin to patients to say, Hey, I'm in this for the long haul. And I might not love where I'm at my, right now. I might not want to be where I'm at right now, but I need to start from here because if I don't, I'll have this superficial feeling of success or the illusion of success, but I'll be right back to where I was one month, two months, three months down the road. Um, for the athletes, very concretely, I'd imagine this comes up all the time with coming back from injuries particularly because you have this literal visceral feeling in your body of what you could do just four months ago before the stress reaction. And you want to be back there. And the number one training mistake is you don't accept where you are, you do too much too soon, your heel, whatever it is, femur starts hurting again, and you're back. And that metaphor applies to everything in life. And I think that the kind of personality marketplace that is social media, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Strava really encouraged is delusional thinking and like overly optimistic self-appraisal because that's what everyone is posting on this stuff. And it makes accepting where you are even harder. So it's hard enough because we all want to grow. We all want to be better. It's compounded by the fact that the place where many people in today's day and age go to compare themselves is a bunch of airbrushed bullshit.
0: So I want to stay on being patient, uh, but an area of, uh, of particular interest and perhaps particular interest for me personally, actually, I, and, and I've talked about this on the show before, but the development of children and sport. So I want to go on a tangent because the theme of patience really comes up with. So we have so many listeners that are parents, and. I guess as a parent, how can I begin to ingrain patience and embracing the journey for my child who loves sport and is clearly athletic? And, you know, in my case, you know, nine years old entering an environment of specialization, travel teams, and so much more that I find American madness. But how can I start to ingrain those principles to a child?
1: I think it's challenging because like you mentioned, the culture that we're in wants the kid to be the best 10 year old pitcher, which is a great way to have Tommy John surgery when you're 16, instead of actually developing the kid as the best pitcher at age 25. Um, So you're definitely swimming upstream. Uh, I always come back to do what you can to keep it fun and try to mold within your kid a growth mindset, a process mindset. And I heard this quote a long time ago, and I wish I remembered where it came from, but I don't. Um, But I'm not taking credit for it. But someone wiser than me on parenting said that the most important part of parenting is the car ride home. So it's not the game, it's not the recital, It's the car ride home when it's just you and your kid and you're processing what happened and you're reflecting because that's your opportunity to help frame whatever your child is doing in this broader pursuit of are you enjoying it? Is it fun? Yes, results matter, but you want to be doing this forever. Um, My son is only four. So our issue with patience is like, You got to wait one minute till you get your surprise. Um, And I think kids are hardwired to want, want, want. And in many ways, I think that they are a beautiful reflection for our inner nature, which is more, more, more desire, desire, desire. And as we get older and wiser and our prefrontal cortex and our brain comes online, we can start to put a little bit of the brakes on that. Um, so I think part of it is also just like, it's a hilarious look at, at human nature. It, it,
0: it really is. And it's interesting because th- there is this tension as well. I, I think that sport, very similar to education, actually like successful education. So, so much of it is built around both enjoyment and confidence in many ways, enjoyment comes out of confidence. And so you I'm just going to have empathy with parents because I'm going through it or starting to go through it right now where you've got, how can we foster development in areas of passion while not going down the route of specialization and, and, and the sort of, are the children that are accelerating faster because of specialization that most of them will be out of the sport by the time they're 18 because it doesn't matter if they're the good kids when they're 10. At the same time, that can theoretically dismantle your child's enjoyment, confidence. I'm not as good. And so... Um, I, I think as parents, uh, th- there should be a healthy realization that number one, 99% of our children will not be on scholarship. 99.9% will not go on to be professional. And um, But why do you have your kids doing sport in the first place? And I think as a parent, if you ground yourself mm-hmm. in the fact that sports provide a wonderful arena of lessons, of health, of teamwork, of navigating obstacles and failure and other life skills. And if you build it in that, <laughs> that guess what? If you are one of the 1% or 0.1% that that end up, they're they going to find their own way anyway. You ain't got nothing to do with it. It's your kids. And so I think exposure across many areas is really, really good. There, there isn't a better example than early specialization than your good mate steve magnus probably and uh and all the
1: yeah he 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 specialized early and and he was a failed prodigy um now who knows if it would have been different had he not specialized early um but yeah and 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 also how he was able to work his way out of that and and kind of unspecialize yes. Um, which is what makes him really magnificent and and admirable is that he was able to drop that identity, but many people can't. And, and it's a long time. I, I also think that people with skin in the game, parents with skin in the game who have tried to perform at a high level, they tend to know this. So if you're at a youth sporting event, there's always going to be the parents yelling at the kids and yelling at the umpire. And then Matt Dixon is sitting in the bleachers with a cap over his head, not saying a word, quietly watching, because you know that the nine-year-old game doesn't matter and all that it's just false bravado. It's, it's, it's nonsense. And it's the parents that haven't had skin in the game that tend to lose their mind. Whereas anyone that knows the slightest thing about sustainable performance just sits in the back with a magazine, You know, cheers for their kid and that's it. And then the car ride home is important. My question for you, I know you're supposed to be asking me questions, but this is something that I've just started to think about, which is what, what do you do if your son shows a very narrow interest in hunger? So if your son says, dad, all I want to do is swim. I don't want to do soccer. I don't want to do basketball. I love swimming. Just sign me up for swimming. Do you put the brakes on that? As long as it's self-driven, do you encourage it? Because I think it's easy to say, as a parent, don't force your kid to specialize. Don't be the crazy parent. But what if your kid is driving that process? So, so uh,
0: I can only say this is how we have done it so far. So, I, and uh, so, I, so I go out. I, I take off uh, performance educator to just dad here. Okay. Um, so. The only rule that we have is that we we want baxter our son to have a passion and um and we, we see our job to set up the environment to allow whatever his passion being it ends up being to thrive but we've gone really broad and so actually it goes beyond sport and i would say the anchors of how we're setting it is. It's great for him to do a little bit of single sport experience. So we wanted him to learn to swim because it's water safe and it's really easy for us when we go to hotels. And that's really good. We wanted him to do some team sports because it's really good for interaction and uh, collaboration and also hand-eye coordination in case he wants to. But we also have him do some language. He's playing in a musical instrument. And on top of it, this is really important, making sure that we designate downtime, just doing nothing. And That's how we set it up. And all of those are really important institutions. Now, he ironically, bizarrely, and absolutely nothing to do with his dad, loves water and swimming. And so we're like, and he's a part of a little swim group. And they're saying, hey, he can really come four days a week, five days a week. Say, no, you can go twice a week, mate. And so you are putting on some, some boundary. boundary because even if yeah, it's because driven by we, him. He, you've got to do yeah. guitar that you're going to carry on. He's doing French lessons because he originally went to an international school, blah, blah, blah. So you're only going twice a week and, um, and, and keep doing baseball for fun. And now if he wants to do an extra swim a week, why don't I take him to the pool and go and play? And that's what we do. So if there is a third swim he's with his buddies, the other time he goes and does it with dad and we just go and mess around and play and maybe do a little fun set with each other but we're just racing and uh uh, but there's no way that i will let him have his whole week dominated with a single mental and physical pursuit right now he's nine he can do that when he's 12.
1: yep and i was going to say i think what the literature shows there is as a child ages you gradually can open up more of that if the child's driving it. So it's not dad saying now you're swimming five days a week, but if Baxter at 12 says, I wanna swim five days a week, then maybe you peel away some other things, but he's still doing guitar. And then if in high school, he says, I wanna be on the swim team and win a state championship, then you create the safe space for him to do that while also making sure that he has some identity outside of swimming. So if he tears his rotator cuff, he doesn't fall to pieces. Now, this is so much easier to say than to it, it, it absolutely is. And I and I'm not
0: saying that we've got it all down, but absolutely, and you know, we have some other funny rules like great, you don't have to learn guitar after you're eighteen. You can do whatever you want. And um and you can have a cell phone when you're thirty. But outside of that <laughs> which he still believes right now. But well, it, it- <laughs>
1: It brings to mind your, the way that you're parenting is, is very much how Caitlin and I strive to, to parent Theo. And we're not at nine yet. We're still at four. So the, the challenges are that of a four-year-old. But um, the, the psychoanalyst DW Winnicott became really known for his theory of the good enough parent. And how Winnicott defined the good enough parent is this. The perfect parent is intrusive, interrupts, helicopter parent's is overly involved, the negligent parent checks out and doesn't respond to a kid's needs. The good enough parent creates a holding space for the kid to develop. And if the kid steps outside of that holding space, nudges them back Mm. into it. And I just think it's such a beautiful model, obviously for parenting, but when we think about performance and infinite games, also how we treat ourselves. So the perfectionist mindset is I need to do this race. I need to do every workout. I can never adjust. The negligent mindset is who cares? I don't need a goal. I'm just gonna chill. And adopting the mindset of a good enough relationship to your own pursuits is how do I create the environment for me to thrive without holding too tightly, but also without being too loose. And I just think it's a beautiful framework for thinking about, again, how not only we relate to our kids, but also how we relate to ourselves. And as you know, good enough over and over and over and over again is eventually what gives you a chance at great, because it gets back to patience. If you try to do great too often, you burn out, you leave your best race in training, so on and so forth. Good enough repeated meets greatness. There you go. So,
0: hey folks, let me just interject here into the conversation a little bit. Let's have a little breather. Because I want to do a very short reminder. A massive part of performance is about nailing the basics, as we like to say. But what we're really saying here is remove some of the noise, the distraction, trim the pieces of the puzzle that don't actually yield results. And this is actually central to our relationship with Inside Tracker. Our athletes get insights into their biometrics and then scientific advice over where they should focus their efforts. What are the quote basics that they should nail? And then they get to track to see whether it's actually yielding results. And guess what? You can too. Insidetracker.com slash purplepatch podcast. And for you guys, the listeners, 25% off everything at the store. All you need to do is enter the code PurplePatchPro25. That's PurplePatchPro25. And it is 25% off. All right. Now, with that little breather, it wasn't enough time for a cup of tea. It wasn't even time for a quick potty break, but we are going back to the discussion with Brad. Enjoy the rest of the show. Take care. So I want to finish our discussion. I want to come back in the last couple of minutes here. Um, in the last week, we, we started to tickle around community. And I, I, I really want to finish on this because I think this is really interesting, particularly as I tend to coach folks who are ostensibly on a solo endeavor. And they, they approach their performance as, I'm making myself better. I'm finishing a marathon for myself. But I see most successful individual athletes that I've coached feel like they're actually a part of something. They feel connected, accountable, a sense of belonging. And so I'd, I'd love your insights on the solo quest versus leveraging community in any high area
1: performance, not just sport. So I'm going to use a sport example, um, because I think if I riff on myself or any of my coaching clients, some of those solo people will be like, Oh, whatever. It's just Brad. Um, but I'm going to use the example of my dear friend, Shalane Mm -hmm. Flanagan, who is a four time Olympian, New York city, marathon champion, um, arguably one of, if not the best American women's marathoner, um, of, of the last century. So Shalane trained by herself for a very long period of time and her reasons for that are very similar to why many people do. It's inefficient to train with other people. They don't run exactly my pace. Their workout schedules are different. This is a solo pursuit. I need to learn what it's like to be alone in my head, so on and so forth. And Shalane had a really solid career, but she never won the big one. and. When Shalane was around 31, she decided that she was going to start training in a group. So she went from total solo training to total group training, like 95% of her workouts were in a group. And at that point, she started having so much more fun. So she was still running the crazy mileage and running was still a very singular pursuit for her, but she was doing it in this community of others. And even at that elite level, Shalane told me that her workouts weren't perfect because there were other women involved, but the benefits of having those other people to compete with and to have fun with is probably what kept Shalane in the sport long enough to eventually win the New York city marathon. So my sense knowing Shalane really well is if she hadn't started training in a group, she would have retired before that race came out of her. But the group is what gave her the sustainability to stay in and win that race. And I know Shalane really well, she would tell you the same thing. This isn't like I, I, it is such a, an amazing thing. And then of course, all these other women start crushing it. And now the most beautiful tidy bow part of the story is when Shalane retires from running two years ago, she goes on to coach. And if she was training solo, that probably wouldn't have happened. So. Without getting like extremely woo-woo, I'm going to quote Ram Das, formerly Richard Alpert, the LSD pioneer, but also very good psychologist, who says so elegantly, we're all just walking each other home. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and it's yeah. true. So no one at the very end of their life remembers the medal or the race that they won. They remember their training partners. It's the relationships along the way. So all that sounds great. Now zero in. I've got two kids. I've got a job. You want me to drive to the trailhead and it's a pandemic. So it's not like we can even get coffee after to meet so-and-so to run. I'm not saying unless you're a pro athlete, and even if you are, that you have to go full on Shalane and do all your workouts, but maybe see what it's like to start with just two workouts a month. If you're totally solo and you might say, well, my long ride, I need to hit. And I know these triathletes, they tend to be age groupers. I need to hit between 215 and 220 watts on this long ride for four hours. And if I'm in a group, it'll never happen. What I would say to you is, sac- it's back to patience. Sacrifice the perfect wattage on that acute workout. Start doing that as a group ride, and you'll likely have a more enjoyable time with triathlon and therefore stay in it and perform better over the long run. It, it's the, what, what I labeled the myth of specificity. So pe- people,
0: people... Uh, athletes get absolutely anchored around. But like, I, I can't train anyone because I, I, it's this workout and it's one what, et cetera. And we, we actually had a, a great example. We do a lot of video-based coaching where it's community. It's two-way video. So you can, similar to how we are right now, we can see each other on video and there's the human connection. And it's about showing up. It's the same reason that group track workouts are powerful. Master swim sessions are really popular. You can lose some specificity, and some some of the athletes that I coach, I can go to master swim. Yeah, I might lose a bit of specificity in there, but I gain on so much more, and I think that's important. Well, the bell tolls for us, Brad. That is, uh, we we could carry on for for several more hours. Um, I am going to finish this with a uh, with an invitation. I want to, I would love you to come back over the coming months. I think we've got a whole area to explore that we didn't get to today around fragility and some other areas, um, which would be a great discussion to have. But I, I want to thank you so much for your generosity of your time and uh, and your vulnerability to uh, to share your story. But I tell you what, it's been a wonderful conversation. And I say this uh, sincerely. I learned a bunch myself on this uh, discussion. Mm. So thank you so, so much, because it was really inspirational to, to have a chat. And, uh, and it was great to actually learn while I was having a coach's chat, which is, which is always fantastic.
1: Well, if that is even 10% true, then I am absolutely honored because, um, as you know, you are someone that I look up to that is really, since I've known you been at the vanguard of taking these very dual approaches to performance which is go crush yourself or like just hold hands and sing kumbaya and have fun and merging them and even though back in the day you were the recovery coach (laughs) anyone that knows matt knows that like you also gave your athletes something to recover from and um i think that there is just so much black and white thinking in anything, whether it's in sport or in the corporate environment when it comes to performance. And I think part of the reason I admire you so much is you, you, you embrace the nuance and, and hold the polarities. At the thank same
0: Thank time. you very much. Well, thank you for you guys for listening. I, I hope you enjoyed it. As, uh, as promised, of course, we will share all of the show notes. Um, we will share also in the show notes how to follow Brad where best to practice or where best to purchase the book. I should say the books. But um, the latest book, obviously, The Practice of Groundedness. And, and I guess last thing, where can folks follow you on the proverbial social media for your continued education?
1: Yeah, well, I try to practice what I preach. So I limit myself. I'm only on one social media, which is Twitter, and I'm at B Stallberg, And it's not because I'm more righteous or moral it's actually the opposite i too much of a junkie and if i had all of them i would do nothing but be on social media so only on stuff that's a good one
0: all right brad take care mate really appreciate it you too matt thanks so much for listening this has been the purple patch podcast if you like what you hear, would really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review the show. The Apple Podcasts link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time staff people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Cheers!